You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. First Peter, we're in chapter 3. We're starting in verse number 8 today, and we are just we we're talking about relationships. Have you noticed? It's been interesting. But the Peter has been covering all kinds of relationships. We have studied how we are supposed to have relationships regarding government authorities. We spent some time talking about that relationship. We've talked about relationships with our employers and how to get along with our employers and and how how that looks from from a biblical perspective. We talked about the relationship over the past couple of weeks, husbands and wives, and how that looks in, in, in light of Scripture and how do we have a successful relationship when it comes to, to our husbands and wives, our families. Today it's interesting. Finally, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, notice with me, he says in verse 8, finally, all of you. So he, he says, look, I know I've talked about how to have a relationship with the government, how to have a relationship with your employer. We've talked about how to have a relationship with your husband and with your wife. But he said, today, I just want to make sure we don't leave any relationship out. So finally, all of you. So this is all people, everybody in this room, and every relationship that you could ever have. And isn't it amazing how many relationships we could experience even in a 24-hour period? It's unbelievable. You know, I was thinking about that earlier this week as I would get up in the morning and begin my relationship with God. And then after my devotions and my relationship with God, it wasn't long after that, I was in a relationship with my wife. Good morning, honey. How are you doing today? And then I was in a relationship with my kids as they got up around noon. Excuse me. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Not that bad. Chloe gets up early. She does. Uh, Zoe, not so much. Anyway. And uh, and then I began my relationship with people in the community as I stopped at the gas station and, 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 and paid for the gas or maybe went to Walmart and communicated with some of the people there and in the aisles. Excuse me, how are you doing? Merry Christmas. And then I had a relationship with maybe someone else at a, a downtown Hot Springs or in the hallways of church or in the parking lot. I mean, it is amazing how many people we encounter in a 24-hour period that we have developed a relationship with. I go, everybody kind of makes fun of this. I eat at uh, San Francisco Bread Company a lot, you know, and I take people out. I was there last night with a, a graduate of Champion Christian College passing through town, came to the nine o'clock service, and I went there, and I've got relationships. I mean, with people, every worker there knows me, I know them, and I've been developing through those years a relationship with them. Thank you, ushers, for being so faithful. If you need to worship God, would you raise your hand? as the pastor's trying to have a good relationship with his ushers right now. This is my relational effort right now. Just keep your hands up because it's good to have the notes for this. So all of these relationships, here's what I want to do. I want to have more successful relationships. I mean, I I was thinking about, uh, Don and Kelly will know this because on Wednesday uh, and and Troy, we we were prepping, right? And here this guy comes in out of nowhere. Never met him before in our lives. His name is Javier. Just in case. Is Javier here this morning? Just in case. It's a good story, but all right, he's not here. I just want to make sure because we invited him. Javier came really just out of nowhere. Nobody knew Javier. He walks in like he kind of owned the place almost. Like, hey, I'm supposed to be here. Sharp sharp man, he just said, hey, I heard about the Thanksgiving feast. I used to live up in Wisconsin. And he said, and I did this every year. I would find a place to serve meals. And so I was just kind of curious. Do y'all need help? 
And so for the next four hours, Javier served. And Kelly got to reach out to him. When I walked into the kitchen, Kelly said, hey, preacher, meet Javier. I was thinking maybe you could tell him more about this. And then when Don walked in, Don took over. I mean, Don, maybe it was great, man. He just said, it was awesome, you know. And him, and him and Don had a relationship. And before Javier walked out of that building, and he was the last one to leave the property, my wife and I, we locked up. And uh, I think Troy actually had left that evening already. And we, we locked up and we were in the car driving off, you know, to do the decorations on the tree, our tradition. And we were talking to Javier in the parking lot as he left. And I just told Caroline, isn't that amazing? We didn't know Javier before today. We had no idea who this guy was. He walks into the property and now we have a new person to minister to, to reach out to, to develop a relationship with. Life is amazing and relationships are so important. So I want to talk to you today for a few moments is this. I want to talk to you about a wake-up call to relational success. I want us all to raise our standard of relationships because of this message, because of this passage, because of this truth. It's a life-changing experience to go through the Bible verse by verse and allow it to change us. And in context, and of course, we're in context, no doubt about that. Relationships with the government, relationships with the employer, relationship with your husband, relationship with your wife. Oh, yeah. How about a relationship with, like, everybody? Everybody. And so let's talk about four keys to a successful relationship. Let's begin with this. To be humble in spirit. Humble in spirit. Now, there's a lot to be said about being humble in spirit. And I think all of it is summarized in verse number eight. And so I'm going to take that first way to have relational success, to be humble in spirit. We've, we've read scripture about it this morning. We have actually recognized that Jesus Christ came not as a warrior, not as a mighty king, but he came as a humble little baby to serve us and to die for our sins. He's the greatest example of humility there ever was. How can we connect with Jesus this morning in that way? So look at verse 8. It says, finally, all of you, the first way to summarize this term humble in spirit would be what Scripture says. Have unity of mind. Have unity of mind. That's the first way to be humble in spirit. Unity is another word we might use for harmony or harmonious. Before the first service, I, was, I walked in on a conversation that Jordan was having with Vince and these two Chief musicians were talking about something that was Greek to me, but I was trying to, you know, to, you know, understand it. And, and Jordan said something about, I'm saying it wrong. Trust me, Jordan is here, so he knows I'm saying it wrong. Something about, you know, if you could give me, a, you know, the, on the pedal, whatever the pedals are. You ever wonder what these are? You know, I, the only pedal I know is how, gas pedal, right? But these pedals up here. And give me a B on this particular song. And Vince is all, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that, you know, and, you know, thank you. And they're talking. Well, but what was it all about? Honestly, as I walked away from that short little conversation of, notes and give me this and give me that. I thought it's about harmony. They're wanting to make sure it sounds pleasant. It sounds right because there's a lot of band members up here. You got people on different instruments and we're going to worship God. We want to do it with excellence. And so all of these instruments are playing in harmony, harmonious, the musicians, the practice yesterday, the practice this morning, all of that. Being a good band member is about blend. And so the, the phrase here, humble in spirit, or rather unity of mind, might be best described as whenever possible, fit in. I just want to fit in. I mean, when I can. I want to do all that I can to make sure that I am a harmonious part of the body of Christ, of my home, 
of my shopping at Walmart. I, I, I don't want to be a disruptive a disturbance. I don't want to be someone who is hard to deal with. And I don't want to be that angry guy that didn't get treated right and, and, and fought back. I want to be that guy that, that walks into a building or to a shop or to a restaurant or to my home. I sort of fit in. I find my place. I just make it work. I mean, I just want to have unity of mind. Wherever I work, when I'm playing with the people in my house, get along. I just want to get along. You ever heard that? Why can't we just all get along? Sometimes I feel like that, that can be abused because we can't always get along, right? But you know what? Most of the time we can't. You know, it's funny. We have a softball team here at Gospel. It's an interesting team. We're made up of a bunch of misfits, you know. It's just a bunch of different Sorry, guys. Uh, I'm in that group, so don't take it too critically. But we're just a bunch of average guys. None of us are like great, you know, semi-pro softball players, right? In fact, to be honest with you, my gift is not hitting. I'm lucky if I get a single, and to get that single, I have to run like a madman. I mean, literally. And I'm a pretty good runner still, but I mean, it's crazy. And I barely make it. Every time I get on first base, it's like tie goes to the runner. It's that close. The only time I get to second is when they commit an error. Then I might get to second. What I'm saying is this. Hitting is not my thing, but I can pitch. And I can get the ball over. And the guys, they like me when I pitch. And they want me to pitch. In fact, when I don't pitch, they say, hey, man, we miss you on the mound today. You know, if I'm out of town or something. Because that's my place. That's my spot. Scott's spot is third base. He loves third base. He covers it well. He, he knows how to cover the, the territory there. And he, he can reach for a ball. He can, he can throw it from third to first most of the time. And, and, hey, if it's not an exact throw, guess who's good at first base? Jordan Elkins, Mr. Stretch. Dude, the guy can come off of first. And somehow, if Scott throws it 12 feet off the base, Jordan can stretch, get it, bring it in, out. It's incredible. Then you got Johan in the, in the outfield. And he's running all over the place. And sometimes Johan's in right field and actually catches the ball in left field. I don't know how he does it, you know. Of course, he offends the guy in left field, but hey, who cares? Johan can, he can get it all done. What am I saying? I'm saying, you know, none of, us, none of us are good at everything. But all of us have a spot on that field. And it all works out. And we walk off the field, win or lose, we've just had a good time having unity of mind. He goes on then to say sympathy. Sympathy. And I guess the best way to describe sympathy would be to say this. Take a walk in their shoes. Put yourself in their situation. That's what I love about the Thanksgiving Day Feast. It's an incredible opportunity to take a moment and know that, you know, and I'll just testify for a moment. You know, I knew what I was going home to. I knew I was going home to more food than I could ever eat. I knew that, as Scott said this morning, you know, how many of you ate too much? I know my hand was going to go up. I could have answered that question before I ate. Amen. It was incredible. We had lots of people over and and families over, and we had more food than you could ever imagine. I knew that was me, but that wasn't everybody that we fed Thursday. People off the streets, people coming in with, you know, uh, grocery carts and people, you know, asking for a meal. And could I take one with me because we're going back to the tent and and, and we're going to be there that night. And I mean, it's a lot of different situations we faced but I'm glad I got to walk in their shoes for a few hours. I'm glad I got to sympathize with them and maybe just, I got to take a walk in their shoes. I really believe this is essential to the context of the, of the, of the scripture. This is essential to relational success. 
having sympathy, having compassion, which is the capacity to feel what others are feeling. And that's difficult sometimes. But that's what Jesus felt when he healed the sick in Matthew 14. And when he fed the hungry in Matthew 15. And when he made the blind to see in Matthew 20. And when he cleansed the leper in Mark 1 and raised the dead in Luke 7. And when Jesus wept over, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jesus was feeling what they were feeling. And this is what it takes to have relational success. A unity of mind. Sympathy. And then notice thirdly in the verse, he says, finally, all of you, I want you to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's our recognition of our connection with all of humanity. All of us are part of all of us. If we live on this earth, there's no one we can't love. There's no one we should not love. A follower of Jesus Christ should love everyone. That's what Jesus, that's why Jesus answered that question when the young man asked, well, just, just, just who is my neighbor? Just who do I have to love? Jesus gives this incredible illustration about the good Samaritan. Why? Because ultimately they hated the Samaritans. And when Jesus said, you should love the Samaritans, they knew, well, that must mean everybody. If he, if we got to love them, we must need to love everybody. And you might recognize this quote from John Doan. I don't recognize the name John Doan, but I recognize the quote. He was a member of the British Parliament in the 1600s and the dean of St. Paul Cathedral, which still exists today. And here's what he wrote. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main Any man's death diminishes me because I'm part of mankind. Therefore, never send to know to whom the bell tolls because it tolls for thee. It tolls for thee. No man is an island. I love that song that 10th Avenue wrote years ago. 10th Avenue North wrote. I'll read you a few words. I won't run. I will stay. I'm not leaving you. I know there's friction here. The struggle makes us new. I wish you never thought you had to go. I I wish you never thought you had to leave because together we can lift each other up. We can build a shelter for the weak because no man is an island. We can be found. No man is an island. Let your guard down. You don't have to fight me. I'm for you. We don't have to live this life alone. Church, listen, we're, we're in this thing together, all of us. And this entire city is our, is, not, is, is our gospel community. We have an opportunity to reach everyone in this city, this county, this state, this nation, in this world. The Lottie Moon Offering is all about brotherly love and sympathy. When Scott gets up here and says, hey, listen, we're asking everybody to give a little bit of money. It's my opportunity to say, yeah. I wonder what it would be like to to go to India and to preach the gospel. I know I can't go, but somebody's there. And if I can send $25 in a little envelope and go without a few a meal or without a, a certain little amenity that I normally enjoy, if I can find a way to send a few bucks to, to the Lottie Moon offering, if that means that someone's going to hear the gospel, wow, 
I want to love that person through this offering. Brotherly love. When God's word says have brotherly love, that means there's no man, no woman, no brother, no sister that you can't love. And that's not just the people in your house. It's talking about the whole of humanity. You see, followers of Jesus Christ should love the world like God does. And they should love everybody and those that are hard to love. Amen. How about that? Anybody know somebody hard to love? Well, guess what? I do, and I'm working at it. It's not as easy to love somebody that's hard to love. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're trying to. You're doing your best. You're giving it all you've got. And then he says a tender heart. A tender heart is a lot like sympathy, but it's a little different. It is a readiness. It's almost like an action. To have a tender heart is someone who is ready to feel what others feel. In other words, I'm looking for someone who is hurting, and I'm ready to enter into that burden with them. I'm ready. I come to church. I hear about Ola Parker, and, 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 and I keep seeing preacher look up here at somebody on the front row. I wonder who that is. Who is that Rick Dowdy guy? And, and I happen to know he's been almost the nurse for Ola for all these years and carried her you know, from her seat to her bed and bathed her and loved her as a good son-in-law would and, and cared for his mother-in-law. And I happen to know that Rick is hurting. So Rick's going to get a text from me as he did this week. And how are you? And we're praying for you. And I'm going to enter that burden with you, Rick. You're bearing it like no other person in the room. It's hard to watch a sweet lady in your own home uh, passing away. And I know life's going to be different and there's going to be change and different things. But let me say something to you. We're here for you because you are our brother. We've got to have a tender heart. It's not like, now who's that? Who was preacher talking about? Who was he praying for? What was that all about? Did you hear what he said? No, I was actually uh, returning a text. What, what was that about? No, I mean, I'm engaged. I'm ready. Who is it that God's going to put in my life today? What need does God want me to step into? I mean, I'm, I'm walking down the street. I see someone struggling. Is that God's calling to me to reach over into that person? I don't even know who they are, but God has allowed me to cross their path to have a relationship, to, to exercise a tender heart, ready. Galatians 6.1, bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then he says to be humble-minded. That's the next thing. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. A humble mind. Others more important than me. This may be the toughest one. Because our nature is just to be so selfish. It is. Mine is. I'll confess. At times, it's just about, you know, kind of my agenda, what I'm doing, what I feel. Caroline can tell you at times, especially being a pastor, you know, Man, it just, it, it's, it's difficult to get out of routines, and if you're not careful, you almost can be bothered by the very thing that God's called you to. So you have to be humble in your mind. And that's what Philippians means when it says this, do nothing. Nothing. From selfish ambition or conceit, do nothing selfishly. But in humility... Count others more significant than yourself. In other words, your time is more important than my time. Your concerns are more important than my concerns. Your needs are more important than my needs. 
I'm not going around bragging about, you know, what I have or what I need or I'm not, I'm not making it known that I'm a needy person. No, I'm looking for how I can fill your needs. What can I do to help you? I'm doing nothing from selfish ambition. But in humility, I'm counting others more significant than myself. That's not easy. What about Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7? The warning that the proverb makes. Be not wise in your own eyes. Church, listen. This is such a great admonition. It is. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Prideful. You know, I, I know what I need to do. I know what I need. I know this and I know that. Be humble in spirit. And when I do these five things, I have more success in relationships. Now I realize there are no perfect relationships. Perfect relationships are made in heaven. But I want to do the best I can in my family, in my church, in my small group, in my life, in the community, wherever I go, to have a strong relationship because I'm humble in spirit. Number two, the second key is this. It's confident in God. Now, you're going to understand this. Give me about five minutes to develop the thought. But you're going to get this through the next six or seven verses. It's so powerful to understand that when you are confident in God, you can be humble in spirit. So let's look at this together, shall we? Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Interesting. In other words, Christ was a great example of this, right? I mean, he, he did nothing wrong. In fact, it was the, 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 uh, the, the governmental leadership even made the comment that they find no fault in this man. And yet, crucify him, kill him. We want Barabbas. But he did not return evil for evil. He did not return reviling for reviling. In fact, he did just the opposite. Look what it says here. It says, on the contrary, bless Don't just not return evil for evil, but return a blessing for evil. Return reviling, or rather a blessing for someone who reviles you. So against the grain of human nature. But this is so Jesus. This is so what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, I've had the the distinct privilege of doing a lot of funerals, and some for people who were very bad people who lived their lives and there wasn't much good to eulogize over, right? So guess what? Those are great opportunities. Great opportunities to find something good, to find something you can say to, that, that, that is going to encourage those that knew this man, even though he was maybe a bad person or did a lot of things that weren't right. I remember at the Thanksgiving Day Feast this year, on that Wednesday night with, with uh, Javier, um, we got on the subject of Don and I on Thanksgiving Day Feast miracles. And we brought up this guy years ago named Johnny Thornton, a bad man, a bad man. Johnny was walking down the street when I was picking people up to bring to the Thanksgiving Day Feast, and, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I didn't know Johnny. That day, I didn't know him until that day. I'm driving, in, as I always do, and picking people up off the streets. And I see this guy, and he's, he, I can see he's holding his hand against his 
his eye socket, and blood is just coming through his fingers, and it looked awful, but, you know, I stopped, hey, hey, you want a Thanksgiving meal? And he looks at me, and he removes his hand from his eye for just a moment. His, his eye kind of fell out of his eye socket. He had been beaten up, brutally beaten up and left for dead. He put his hand back up to keep the eye in. And he said, uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I said, no, come on, man. You can. He said, no, I'm not really. I've got, I don't want to mess your band up. I got blood all over. I said, ah, it's okay to clean up. Get on here. We want to feed you. Johnny gets on and comes to the Thanksgiving Day feast that day about six or seven, eight years ago. Walks into the building and he's loved by dozens of people who see this man. Get him a seat and get him a rag and wipe some of the blood off and, 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 and get some bandages. And we kind of fix him up a little bit and, and get him a meal and feed him and love on him. And then Johnny gets back on the van and I bring him back to where I dropped him off because he definitely wanted to go back to that spot. And I dropped him off and I said, listen, man, you live around here? He said, well, I, I sort of live, you know, in one of these alleys. I said, oh man, can I come back next week and pick you up? And he said, sure. And I did. And Johnny came to church. And Johnny came Sunday after Sunday until Johnny got saved. And Johnny got baptized. And Johnny's eye got, you know, kind of settled back into his head and started looking like somebody you weren't afraid of. And remember the day Johnny met Richard McGrew. Richard McGrew is a board member at Champion and at the time was coming to our church. And Richard said, who is, th- is that Johnny Thornton? And we said, yeah, that's Johnny. He said, man, I went to school with Johnny. He said, Johnny was a bad man. In fact, one day, I think, Don, you reminded me that Don, uh, Johnny took Richard because they were classmates and Johnny was a big guy. Richard's not so big. Johnny, big old bro, took Richard at the brink of his life and threatened to you know, drop him off of a building. If it, was it give him his money or what? Yeah, give him his lunch money. And Richard kind of was questioned, like, is this guy okay? He's, oh, yeah, yeah, he's great. Oh, Johnny's great. He got saved. He's awesome. And Richard's like, I don't know. But let me tell you the end of the story. God allowed Johnny and Richard to have a grand reunion of forgiveness and love and when Johnny finally needed an apartment, guess who rented him his apartment? Richard McGrew, the man he held over a building and threatened to drop. How beautiful is that? You know how beautiful that is? That's what Jesus would have done. Reach out. See the good in people. Don't be grossed out by their sin as much as you are. You see the hope and, and, the, and the hope that lies within them. If they'll trust Christ, and change that can come over them. And this is what it's all about, church. Oh, if we could just realize that, that we're to bless people. Why do we bless people? Notice why. That you may obtain a blessing. Look at it, verse 9. On the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Why? Because there's always a blessing for obedience. Always. Now, now what is the blessing? Okay, if I do this, preacher, what's the blessing? Well, let's look at it. It's the very next verse. Verse 10. Look at it. For whoever desires to love life and see good days. Any volunteers on that one? Can I see any hands? Anybody want to love life and see good days? Sounds like an incredible offer, you know. If you want to love life and you want to see good days, wow. If you desire that, then here's what he says. Look at verse 11. Or look at verse 10. Let him keep his tongue from evil. So if I want to love life and see good days and this idea of relationships, number one, I got to watch what I say. Church, keep your tongue from evil, cursing, slandering, gossiping, murmuring, 
cutting people down, bitter and unforgiving words, you're not happy. You're not enjoying life. That's a miserable life. The most miserable people I know are gossipers and slanderers and negative people and cutting people down and criticizing people. That's just the conversation. Miserable people. But if you want to love life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil. And notice the next thing. And your lips from speaking deceit. So watch what you say, number one, and don't lie. Tell the truth. Don't lie. So what what should I do? Look at verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue. Pursue what? Relational peace. Pursue relational peace. That's the answer here. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. You can hear him. If you'll do this, the God of love and peace will be with you. Get along. Love one another. Live in peace. Try to agree on what you can agree on. Quit all the fighting. It's silly. Amen. This is so beautiful. This is what we're after. We tend to to, to look at things from a perspective of what's wrong instead of what's right. Seek peace. Relational peace. Work at this. If you want to love life, if you want to see good days. And then notice, here's what God will do in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. All right, hang on now. Here it is. I can be confident in God. I can be confident that even though sometimes I'm reviled, I'm treated, you know, I'm treated in an evil way. Sometimes when I'm nice to people, guess what? They're not nice to me. I give it all I've got, right? I try to try to make sure that I'm kind and I'm thoughtful, but yet the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Sometimes we're mistreated. And when we fight back, listen to this. Every time you throw dirt, you lose ground. Every time. Every time. Take a break from Facebook. Take a break from the bitterness. You'll feel better. Take a break from the anger. And the, yeah, but they did this to me. I know, I know they did. I get it. They did it to Jesus too. We got to work at this thing. It's hard. It is hard, isn't it? I agree. It's very hard to love people that don't love you back. But you've got to work at this because this is what followers of Jesus Christ are to do. And when we do this, the eyes of the Lord are on us and he hears our prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So I can be confident in God when I'm humble in spirit. I want to give you three warnings here that cause setbacks in relationships. These are three things that I see as a pastor that cause setbacks in people who are really trying to make a concerted effort to improve relationships. Number one, you ready? Anger. Anger is a setback. Deal with your anger. And it's usually not who we let it out on that we're angry with. You ever notice that? I mean, a lot of times I've had people who have gotten angry at me when I don't get angry back and create a firestorm, just come back and say, hey, I'm sorry. It's, I'm not mad at you anyway. It's just stuff going on in my life. Maybe that's how we can treat the waitress the next time she's not so kind. Maybe we can think it's not really that she's mad at us, but her boyfriend just left her. 
or her husband maybe mistreated her or beat her. And she's taking it out on us. And we're fighting back. We're returning evil for evil because, bless God, I came here. I paid good money. She ain't getting a tip. That's the last thing I do is leave a tip. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Wait a minute. Time out. Manage your anger. It's probably she's not even mad at you. She's just, you just happen to be the recipient of her anger. And if you treat her with kindness, you'll be surprised at what she thinks as she walks away. Wow, I can't believe they're so nice. And I'm treating them so bad. Anger. And then time. Time is the second thing that I think causes setbacks in relationships simply for this reason, because relationships don't do good in a hurry. They just don't. You can't fix things when relationships are broken or struggling or developing. It takes time. It takes patience. You got to give people time and space sometimes. And so don't expect things to go quickly. You know, sometimes we just want it to be right. I just want to get it over. Say you're sorry. I'll say I'm sorry. Let's walk away. Give it some time. You know, I found that many times when you give it time, two, three days down the road, it's not even a big deal. And then thirdly, expectations. Expectations cause setbacks in relationships. And that brings me to my third key here of the four keys to relational success. Let's move right into it. Write it out. Realistic and expectation. Now, in order for us to really understand this, realistic and expectation, which is number three, I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. I want you to do something for me. I want you to bring to mind one or two of the most difficult relationships that you deal with in life. And the first service I had folks kind of, when I said that, they were like looking at their spouse and pretty, (laughs) like it was you, you you know. But I want you to think for just a minute. Everybody's got one of these. Come on. Everybody's got one. I have, I probably have several, you know, because I've had more time to think about it, right? (laughs) But I want you to think about one or two people in your life, in your relationships, and they're just difficult to deal with. You know, I was thinking years ago. This is probably 10 years ago. I'm in a car with, with a church member. We're driving down Central Avenue. And the church member kind of starts going into the left lane. They were in the right lane, two lanes going towards the mall on Central Avenue. And when they did, they didn't see in their rearview mirror there was a car there. And so the car bangs on the brakes. They jerk it back in the lane, the church member. And as that person passed them, they made a gesture. It was kind of an ugly gesture that involved a finger. And it was like, I was like, whoa. I was like, you know, and I looked over at the church member, you know, and I said, man, that was, that was rough. Did you see what they said? And the church member looked at me, did not blink an eye, stutter, stammer, nothing. Just said, yeah, they told me I was number one. I loved it. I'll never forget that moment because it taught me something about expectations. You know, you know sometimes I feel as if... We just have unrealistic expectations in relationships. And so look at what Peter says in verse 13 of our text. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. 
Listen, Peter is saying here, be determined not to let people get you upset. Don't be determined to not be quick to anger. Be slow to wrath. Don't be so quick to speak. Remember this. Again, even if you should suffer for doing the right thing, you'll be blessed. Don't have fear of them, nor be troubled. In other words, how about this? Lower expectations of others and higher expectations of me. What a great way to live. I'm going to expect less of you and more of myself. I'm going to expect less of you and more of myself. I'm going to live like that. It's a great way to live. It's, it's, a, it's as a follower of Christ should live. Not expecting others to treat me the way that I treat them. Realizing that sometimes I'm going to treat someone nice who's not going to treat me nice. And that I may suffer a little bit for that, but that, that's okay. Again, knowing that if I do that, I'm going to be blessed. Don't, don't be troubled when someone doesn't treat you like you treated them or you think you should be treated. So how do we go about that? Look at verse 15. Here it is. Ready? But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. All right, pay attention. In that moment, in that very moment that, that this confrontation in a relationship happens, in the moment that I am not treated fairly, in that moment, I need to make sure that Christ is on the throne of my heart. It's not always easy. I need to walk in the spirit. I need to say, wait a minute. I'm not going to return evil for evil. I'm not going to revile for reviling. I am going to end that moment, put Jesus Christ on the throne. In my heart, I'm going to honor Christ as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So here's how that looks. I'm mistreated. Or someone speaks unkind to me or something happens in a relationship that isn't quite right. And, and I respond properly. And then they look at me and say, why are you so nice? And your response is, well, I'm a Christ follower and I just love Jesus. And I love you. And so I, I try to treat people with kindness. Notice it says here in that passage, do it with gentleness and respect. So, so let's go back. So why are you so kind? Well, I'm a Christian, duh. That's how we act. I go to church, okay? What do you think? You see my bumper sticker? You know, no, that's do it with gentleness and respect. That's how we used to do it, right? Back when we were, bless God. You know, if you don't like it, lump it. You know, yeah, right. That was nice. You know, the door swings both ways. All those comments growing up, right? You know, calling people names in the auditorium. Insanity. It's so against scripture. I can't even believe I sat in buildings that did that. It's crazy. We're supposed to treat people with gentleness and respect when they don't agree with us. And then they ask, why are you so nice? Well, I I love Jesus and I love you. And then guess what? Then they're not nice to you even after that. So guess what? Don't live under the illusion that if you handle something right, everyone will love you. Oh, then I want to become a Christian. Oh, that's fantastic. Don't expect that to happen. In fact, expect the opposite. Remember? Wait, listen here. Lower expectations of others. 
So I'm nice. They're mean. I'm nice. They ask me why. I say I love Jesus. And they say, oh, so you're a holy roller, huh? I know a lot of Christians. I know you guys are a bunch of fakes. Yeah, you're nice to me now, but you talk to me behind my back. Oh, I'll try. Okay, I'll try. Okay, I get it. You want to fight? Let's go. I tried to be nice. That's how we are sometimes. That's how I am. You know, you push my button. You know, I tried three times. The three strikes, you're out, sucker. Or, look at this, verse 16. Have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior, I love Jesus. Oh, so you're a holy roller, huh? Well, no, not exactly. I'm actually not really that good, but I'm, I'm trying to do better. When they revile your good behavior in Christ, they may be put to shame. So guess what? Listen, and I'm done. Almost. (laughs) As you walk away from that conversation and they stand there having reviled you, guess what they're saying? It's incredible. I did everything I could to tick them off. Maybe what they've got is real. So you come to church next Sunday and guess who's there? You see, this is how we can be a witness. Is we can treat others as Jesus would treat them. And it takes an understanding of lowering your expectations for others and and raising the expectation for yourself. Finally, and I'm done. The last key to relational success, and we're all done, is this. You ready? Hopeful in eternity. Hopeful in eternity. Isn't this good? Ultimately, the reason why we're doing these things is there is a God in heaven and someday we're going to meet him. Amen? That's why, I mean, isn't that ultimately why we're doing this? Because we know there's a God in heaven. We're going to give an account to that God as to how we lived our lives as believers. Look at verse 18. For Christ, don't forget this, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he do it? that he might bring us to God. Don't forget this. He was put to death in the flesh. He was made alive in the spirit. And so will you. So will you. If you're a believer. Look at verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Do you believe that? He's with angels, authorities, and powers that have been subjected to him. In other words, church, we can put up with a little suffering because of our hope of eternity. We can put up with some stuff. It's, it's really not a big deal. <laughs> really, it isn't. It, well, look, only one life so soon to pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Why live your whole life in misery, fighting back, bitter, anger, returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling? Why live that way when God says, look, you've got heaven. In fact, he goes on to even speak into this thing of um, verse, let's see here. I love verse 17. I missed it. Can I go back to that one real quick? I love this. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's better to suffer in this life for doing the right thing and spending eternity in heaven than it is to do evil in this life and just get your way and have at it and spend an eternity in hell. Amen. 
I can suffer a little bit in this life. I can be reviled. I can be mistreated. It's not a big deal. I can live for God in such a way that would please him and give me a good conscience. Christians understand this. Before exaltation comes humility. And before glory comes suffering. We've got to get that. Do you understand one day we're going to be exalted? We're going to be in glory. We're going to be with Jesus. But until then, let's live lives of humility. Let's be ready for suffering. In fact, next week, the whole message is about a wake-up call to suffering. You can get ahead of it by reading chapter 4. So we seek to honor God in our relationships, to be humble in spirit, to be confident in God, to be realistic in expectation, and to be hopeful in eternity. Now, church, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to work on this. I'm going to ask you to work on it. I'm going to ask you while you're working on it, get this, give each other grace. Because we're going to need it. We're going to need grace because this is not something we can do overnight. So as a church family, as we work together to have more unity in the body, more unity at home, give each other grace because I don't know about you, but I, I, I could do a lot of improving in this area. At least my family knows I could. I mean, I, I can't stand up here and lie. I want to tell the truth. I need to show more grace. I need to be more humble in my mind. I need to lower expectations of others and expect more of myself. I need a lot of work, but I'm going to work at it. And you know what I found when you're working at this, when you're giving your best shot at this, when you realize you have room for improvement, you improve. When you recognize you could, you could get better at something, you end up getting better at something. So recognize that with me. And determine to work on it beginning right now. And maybe you could do that at the altar. Or maybe you could do it just where you're seated. Or somehow in this invitation song, you might take a moment as you're worshiping. Just to cry out to God in worship. It might be on your knees before God. It might even be that someone as a result of what you've experienced today. And seen in the baptistry that you might say, I need to be, I need to be saved. I need to be born again. I I need to do what these have done before they followed Christ in baptism. I need to receive Christ. You come. We're here. We'd love to pray with you about that right now or after the service. Shall we pray?